Hello and welcome back to the Frogs of War podcast. I'm Anthony North. That's Russ Hodges. We've got a great show for you guys tonight. We've got uh, an excellent week of TCU basketball took place uh, since we last talked. Have some some football news, some baseball news, and tennis headed into the weekend. Russ, how's it going? Was excited to see Hypnotoad make a, a reappearance at the Oklahoma game earlier this week. I know that got the crowd all excited at Schulmeyer and uh, what a crazy last couple of games it's been for, for TCU basketball going on the road and getting really what's a historic win against a top-ranked Kansas team and then coming home and seemingly playing with a renewed sense of energy and you could just feel the vibe in the in the stadium was on another level for that game and and the players match that, and it's the 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 rough feeling that we were experiencing post national championship. Uh, Kendall Bryles news, basketball tough losses, and maybe things are finally uh, turning around here a little bit. Yeah, it was nice to have just a solid, great week of of good news out of TCU. So, and and yeah, the the crowd in Schulmeyer for that Oklahoma game, students back in session, the blackout. They brought the football team out. Um, you know, we'll talk about the game in a little bit, but just the excitement around TCU basketball is, you know, going into the season, it felt like maybe things were, people were getting a little too high on the frogs, but TCU is absolutely living up to all of that right now. And, and then some, I mean, um, the, the win at Kansas is an all time great win for the program. Uh, something that, I don't know if we would have ever expected to see out of out of TCU basketball. So, um really just great to see that man this team is is really on a roll right now and and coming off, you know, a little bit of a slow start in the conference, but now sitting right there in the mix the the Big 12 standings at the top um separated between one game from first through sixth. All of those top six in the conference are in like the top 15 of the AP polls are all like projected top six seeds in uh, in the NCAA tournament. So it's going to be a, a very interesting finish to um, to the conference schedule once things turn over to that second game where everybody the true round robin in the Big 12. Um, but going back to the Kansas contest last Saturday. Uh, coming off the loss to West Virginia, things were feeling like uh, you know this this could this could be a really difficult spot here. Um, and Kansas itself, coming off of a, a loss to Kansas State in the midweek in their big rivalry game, and Kansas at the time still ranked number two, still you know Fog Allen Fieldhouse, one of the toughest places to play in all of college basketball, and. Uh, TCU went in there and just really smacked him around. Yeah, we kind of called this the Shahada Wells game when we were uh, talking back and forth in the chat a little bit. And that's kind of the beauty of college sports and specifically college basketball is every once in a while you have these kind of games where you have a, a player who may not play a very prominent role on the team or a player who's been struggling a little bit. Uh, Shahada Wells, unfortunately, has been uh, glutton for punishment on this podcast in a sense that he's been talked about a few times as 
you know, he, he's the guy that's got to be kind of the, the energizer bunny off the bench and give the, the frog some scoring there. And, you know, it just hasn't clicked yet for whatever reason, but, um, talk about a game where it just could serve as a huge springboard for him, just playing with all kinds of confidence. I think he hit his first seven shots in the game, six or seven shots in the game. He was three for three from three point range to start out, had a nasty dunk. When TCU forces steal, he gets out and they called it a poster. I don't know if I necessarily call it a poster. Maybe we could put the purple glasses on and, and say yes, but it, it was a sick play uh, nevertheless. And just a, a huge individual effort from him. But a, as a whole, I mean, the team just played lights out. I mean, Bill Self made a comment, I believe, after the game, how TCU basically did everything perfectly. And even though Jalen Wilson scores 30 points uh typically when a team has a player go for 30 at the high school level or college level um you'd think that team might have a good chance to win that game but tcu shot the ball very well in this game is that kind of shooting sustainable i'm not sure but for this particular game against this opponent and like you said coming off a, a game against west virginia that we talked about it's kind of that classic trap game you know you beat Kansas State a team that was red hot you got to go on the road to an unranked team in conference that didn't have a conference win but you're 0-11 in West Virginia and you wind up losing that game and and morale is a little low but you could tell that the players came out and played with a renewed sense of of fire and energy and um I mean, a, a huge feather in the cap for, for TCU in terms of its resume for the postseason. But I think it just serves as a reminder, quite frankly, that TCU, when it's capable of shooting the ball like that for 40 minutes and playing the kind of defense it can play and getting out in transition, I think TCU is one of the best fast-break teams in college basketball. If they can shoot the ball you know, 50% from the field, 40% from three-point range, they can compete with any team in the country. I firmly believe that. I think that win over Kansas shows that, and it's it's going to be an absolute bloodbath in the Big 12. There's no question about it. With six teams in the top 25, I don't even know if you can pick uh, a favorite at this point. I think it's way too early to do that, but um, TCU has answered the call a couple of times here in big 12 play over the last week or so with Kansas state and, and Kansas. And you, you just hope that they can keep the momentum going. You know, they have a couple more games uh, coming up against unranked opponents before there's a really tough stretch. I want to say in mid to late February where they have four ranked teams in five games. So uh, extremely excited for, for TCU to go out and get this win. Um, first win, I believe at fog Allen field house since TCU joined the big 12. So uh, historic effort from from TCU in this game. Yeah, and and first you mentioned it. We've got to both eat some crow a little bit on Shahada Wells. I think I think we've been looking for this from him, and it it was really exciting to see for him to show up like that on the national stage. I mean, this game is on CBS, uh, number two team in the country, and he just really took it to him and. And this game really put on display some of the things that we've and, and TCU fans have been pointing to as things that scare us about this team thus far through the season that when when 
Um, the bench doesn't put up, you know, meaningful minutes when missing a bunch of free throws, unable to hit anything from three point line. Um, those things really doom TCU unable to get running out on, on transition. Um, TCU basketball really can fall apart if any of those things aren't working. And, and in some of these games, uh, all of those things have been failing. So to see them come out and just, uh, really send all those negatives completely away. I mean, uh, 39 points from the bench, uh, Jacob, and, and that's without Micah Peavy playing. So this was, um, I guess his fourth consecutive game that he was out with, uh, with the back injury and Jacoby Cole, Xavier Cork stepping up big time. In addition to Shahada Wells and Rondell Walker, um, really had to give big time, meaningful minutes in this game because, um, in addition to PV being out, Lampkin goes down with an injury. Um, I guess just before halftime, kind of falls awkward going up for coming down after taking a rebound and um, hurts his ankle. And uh, he ended up playing some later in this game, missed the Oklahoma game. So we'll see how that injury plays out for, for the rest of the season, um, whether he's able to play this weekend at Mississippi state, but um, you know, all of those things could have, allowed Kansas to to come back into this game. I think they cut it to maybe 10 or 12 um at halftime where TC was had, ran out to a ridiculous lead, something like 25 points. Bill Self had burned most of his timeouts in the first few minutes of this game. Um TCU was just making every shot and getting stops and there was nothing really they could do about it. Um and but Kansas was was doing that Kansas thing where they would go on little runs, they'd they'd get it, but it never dipped below double digits. So it, that ten point uh lead was as close as it ever got for the rest of the game as, as TCU ran away with it in the end. Um you know, I, I think it is a it's a wake up and and pay attention moment for nationally for TCU. I think they maybe have been flying a bit under the radar, um, looking good in metrics, still in the AP poll and all of that. But uh, nobody could deny TCU's kind of dominance in this game. This is not something that really ever happens to Kansas. Um, they never lose back-to-back games. They never lose back-to-back games wherein one is in Lawrence, Kansas, um, and just getting completely outclassed and, and blitzed on the, on the court is, uh, it, it just doesn't happen. So uh, it, it'll definitely put TCU in, in good position going forward. But, <clears throat> you know, it was an opportunity where TCU could have taken that feeling and, and rode high into the sunset, um, as it were into the week and, and allowed, I don't know, that rat poison, like Nick Saban says of, um, just great press. I mean, nationally, everyone was talking about how, how impressive TC basketball was and, and very easily could have not maintained focus going into the week and, um, uh, against an Oklahoma team that, uh, 
uh, going into its game against the Horn Frogs was fringe bubble team um, in clearly in that uh, second tier of the Big Twelve Conference at this point, but with an opportunity to jump up against against TCU and uh, could have been a dangerous game for the Frogs, but again TCU really just took it to them there in, in front of that uh, capacity crowd at Schollmeyer. Yeah, and another game similar to Kansas where TCU really just controlled the game from start to finish. You know, Kansas State, TCU controlled the game for, you know, 36, 37 minutes. Kansas State made a little bit of a run there toward the end. Not much of a a run that would, you know, bring the Frogs within uh, danger of losing that game, but uh, TCU finishing really strong against Kansas was super encouraging. And uh, to be able to close that one out and not allow any kind of late run in the last couple of minutes was encouraging. And taking that energy over to Oklahoma, like you said, this is another game that the Frogs just controlled from start to finish. They shot the ball really well. Mike Miles has been – one thing we haven't really talked about yet is just how efficient – Mike Miles has been shooting the ball. Um, his three-point shot, I think, still kind of comes and goes, but he's been way more efficient in the mid-range area, and he's been a lot better at the rim. And I think that's definitely been a, a key reason why his scoring averages up, and he's just continuing to do Mike Miles things. He was 10 of 10 from the free-throw line in this game. The Frogs, as a whole, have been shooting free-throws really well over these last couple of games um typically when the frogs surrender those second half leads or lose tight games as we've seen already this season in the big 12 it's free throw shooting has been kind of a a key issue there so uh tcu just in general has been shooting the ball better over these last couple of games um all the way around free throw shooting three-point shooting uh, mid-range jump shots, finishing at the rim. Uh, again, the defense is creating turnovers, which leads to a lot of easy transition layups and you know two-on-one, three-on-two scoring opportunities, and that by default is going to raise your field goal percentage. But um, 25 fast break points for, for TCU in this game, and uh, even with Eddie Lampkin not playing, Xavier Cork comes in to the starting lineup and gives the Frogs good minutes and uh, Micah Peavy was good to have him back and finished with 13 and nine. I think he's going to be a, a key guy, particularly on the defensive end as TCU continues to move forward. And you just feel like right now TCU is playing its best basketball over these last couple of games. And uh, you hope that they can take that into Mississippi state. And the, the key right now, I guess will just be uh, Eddie Lampkin getting healthy number one, but, Number two, how long can TCU sustain this quality of shooting? Because we know from the large sample size that we've had for most of the season that the Frogs have tended to struggle from three-point range. They've had games where they have struggled from the free-throw line. Perhaps it's just a, a confidence thing, and they're playing with more confidence, and some of those shots are are starting the fall. Maybe they've been working on it a little bit more in practice, but um, I'll be watching those numbers to see, you know, how sustainable some of these percentages are going to be over these next few games. And um, 
how TCU can find some different ways to win in the event that, you know, they might be a little bit off from the free throw line or the three point line. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Micah Peavy was just one rebound shy of his, his first double, double 13 points, nine rebounds. That, that would have been exciting on, on his return. And yeah, I mean, the other thing in this game is the defense was just outstanding and, and, you know, I, I don't want to be too down on Oklahoma. Certainly the Horn Frogs have to travel to Norman uh, later this season and TCU had only going into, I guess, last season swept Oklahoma and, and then get this win. But prior to that, I think had only had one win over Oklahoma uh, since joining the Big 12. So traditionally a team that had performed very well against TCU. So you know, I'm I'm going to try to avoid getting old takes exposed on this, but Oklahoma didn't look like a tournament team in this game. Didn't particularly look like they wanted to be there. I mean, yeah, they they were getting blown out pretty bad in the second half, and and so you can understand it a little bit, but um, it it really mm, that that was a I I don't know how much watching that is. TCU just really is a much better team right now than Oklahoma is and really put on an excellent performance to really shut them down and how much of it was Oklahoma just it isn't really that team. Um, I I don't know, but w- watching them in this game, TCU just had them all over the place. They were not getting good shots. The shots they were getting were, were way off. I mean, they shot 31% for the game. Um, and the the big thing on that was uh Grant Sherfer Grant Sherfield Fort Worth native um one of the top scorers in the conference averaging 17 points a game coming into this he was held to just 5 points on 2 of 11 shooting i mean uh he didn't score in the second half at all uh that's you know part of that is Micah Peavy being back in the in the rotation really adds an extra defensive element to to this team that uh is missing when he's gone and and um you know Rondell Walker is able to provide a little bit of that but it's it's just not the same as a player of of the caliber of PV so uh that's part of it but and and like you said Xavier Cork stepping in for Eddie Lampkin he has two blocks he's a monster on on the boards and defensively I don't think it shows up really in the stat sheet like it showed up in the game I mean they they were there was nothing happening down low even without Eddie Lampkin in the game so really impressive game all around from from the Horn Frogs and um you know will again have to not take that rat poison don't take the cheese because uh we're talking about them, but again, TCU is is getting the love nationally. I know uh, some of the national uh, reporters have put them in their top fives uh, right now. Have them? There's all these discussions about how many uh, Big Twelve teams can make the Final Four. Will we have an all Big Twelve Final Four? It's it's getting a little bit out of control, but um, it, it's it's ahead of a tough game at Mississippi State. Tough in. Uh, a road environment in the SEC where similar to the West Virginia thing where you don't want to get caught sleeping. Mississippi State is having a down season. 
Um, I think they just have one win in conference play in a relatively down SEC conference this year. So um, TCU will almost certainly be favored in this game, maybe favored pretty significantly uh, to win. And uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it's it's going to be like, but I think this SEC Big 12 challenge is always kind of a funky thing. Here's in the middle of conference play. You're really on a roll in conference play. You you feel super comfortable about what it's going to take to go play these conference games and, and what you need to get done. And then you have to take on a, a an opponent that you never see. And, and I hope it doesn't just kind of throw off the flow of things because TCU is really on a roll right now. And, um, here it is. They have to travel to, uh, to Mississippi state. And, uh, I don't know. I think, I think the big 12 is going to be favored in almost all of these games. I think certainly, uh, Alabama is having an amazing season, um, with Brandon Miller, shout out Nashville, Tennessee, but, um, otherwise the big 12 may be favored in all of these games throughout the, the sec big 12 challenge this weekend. Yeah. And you, you talked about, uh, not taking the rat poison. And I think, you know, TCU, these last couple of games should just serve as a constant reminder for this team and these players that when they are able to shoot the ball and play the caliber of defense that we've seen in these last couple of games, they're good enough to make the final four. I mean, we've seen a lot of people talking about it and I, I, I believe it. You know, again, I'm not sure how, how sustainable the shooting is, but the energy is undeniable. The defensive ability is undeniable. And you just hope that the team can just continue to come out with that, with that same level of, of energy and effort, particularly on the defensive side on a nightly basis. And, you know, going back to Oklahoma real quick, um, the Sooners may have struggled a little bit in this game, but I took a peek at some of their previous games in Big 12 play, and like essentially every Big 12 game uh, this basketball season, they had a lot of uh, close losses, you know, single-digit losses and really competitive games against quality teams. And again, six ranked teams in the conference out of 10, and you just anything can happen on any given day in the Big 12. I mean... Oklahoma State, I believe, has already picked up a, a marquee win. West Virginia just dominated Texas Tech, and, and Texas Tech was a team that folks thought maybe would be a, a solid group coming into the season, and now they're kind of in uh, a free fall here. But um, you know, unranked or ranked, it doesn't really mean much in the Big in the Big Twelve. I think any of these teams are capable of knocking another one off on, on any given Tuesday or Wednesday or Saturday or whenever it is. So um, for, and I, and Jamie Dixon, I'm sure is, you know, getting on these guys and just reminding them, you know, we're, we're rolling a little bit right now, but let's just keep that same energy, you know, keep the same energy for Mississippi state. Our next couple of games coming up against unranked opponents. And if we continue to get this TCU team for the next few games, I'm going to start feeling a lot more confident about the frogs potentially bringing home a big 12 title, because right now it's, it's still very early, you know, we're eight, nine games in. So we're kind of at the halfway point. And I would feel like by this point we have kind of an idea of, 
you know, these two or three teams are kind of rising to the top, whereas these two or three may be, you know, sinking to the bottom. And, you know, other than Texas Tech sinking to the bottom, um, I, I really don't think we know who the best team or the second best team is in the Big 12 right now. So um excited to see what happens this weekend, and uh, hopefully the Frogs will keep uh, keep this thing going. Yeah, there's there's definitely six teams right now that could feasibly win the conference and and make a big run in the tournament. Um, and I guess I think you mentioned TCU looks like could be a, you know has the possibility of a Final Four team. You know, I think we've also seen TCU could be the kind of team that really runs into some kind of a uh, funky opponent in in the first round of a tournament and and could get caught. So mm-hmm. uh this shooting streak that they're on right now I think they're in as well as the the fast break streak. I mean the leading the country at this point I think it's it's beyond a fluke that they're they're making this happen. This is clearly a the way that they want to play. They want to play a, a tenacious defense, want to take uh, rebounds off missed shots and really run with it um, to get the offense moving. This this is clearly what Jamie Dixon is is looking for out of the team, but it is the kind of thing like we've seen with uh, the Iowa State game where it, it can be shut down. Um, you know, in the summer, in the off season, when when we were trying to fill time, really, but we we asked the the fans of Frogs of War of what is your expectation for TCU basketball going into this season? And and the overwhelming answer was a, uh, reach the Sweet 16. Um, so I guess, do you think this TCU team, that's still the expectation? Or has that ceiling been raised? Or, or are we still appropriate thinking two wins in an NCAA tournament with this team is the appropriate I don't know, expectation. I think sweet 16 is, is fair. I think the uh, super optimist in me would say TCU has the talent. Again, if they continue to shoot the ball like this and play this kind of defense and depending on how the bracket lines up, assuming the frogs, you know, make the tournament, everything could result in a final four bid. I think sweet 16 is fair because this is basically the same team that they had last season and that team uh, defeated Seton Hall in the first round and came within a few points of beating a top ranked Arizona team. So you have all your starters back. You have all your key reserves back with the exception of Farabello who transferred out. You bring in Rondell Walker and you would think that in your second year, you continue to develop more chemistry and get better at the things you're good at. Um, improve on some of those weaknesses and take that next step. And I think when you look at some of the individual efforts that we've seen this year, Mike Miles has elevated his game. He's been much more efficient from the field. Uh, Jacoby Coles, who was a role player last year, didn't really do much off the bench. He's given TCU what seems like seven, eight, nine points a game. Uh, Shahada Wells, who didn't play at all last year, has a Enormous game against Kansas. Emmanuel Miller, guy who has been shooting three-pointers this year, and I'm not sure how many three-pointers he shot last year, but um, a team that 
on occasion is going to need some guys outside of, you know, Miles or Wells or even Damian Baugh to knock down some three pointers. So he's been able to, to do that for TCU this year. Lampkin continues to be real solid on the boards. I think just collectively, um, on a player by player basis, you've seen some degree of improvement from a lot of these guys. And you just hope that as a cohesive unit, they can continue to play the way they've had over these last few games. And I think if we come back in, you know, mid February and TCU's only lost, you know, maybe one more game, maybe we could talk about, you know, raising those expectations a little bit, maybe elite eight or final four, but, um, looking at what TCU did last season, the tournament run that the team went on, the personnel, they all get big. I have everyone back this year. Players are making improvements to their game, expanding their game. Sweet 16 to me is, is absolutely fair. Yeah. And before we move off basketball, I just have to go back to uh, not enough. We, we've talked about some of the improvements made and some of these role players who are really stepping up, but we, not enough can be said about Mike Miles. I mean, just the way that he controls a game. Um, you mentioned his finishing at the rim has been, I think, much improved this season. He's been fantastic. Um, you know, he he didn't have any assists in this Oklahoma game, um, but had 11 assists in the Kansas State win. Um, so he's he's getting it done in different ways and. Yeah, I mean, in, in just 28 minutes in this Oklahoma game, he scored 23 points. Um, he's he's a force to be reckoned with, and and is is truly one of the best players in the country. Um, I, I don't think he will ever reach that status of being in the like National Player of the Year conversation, um, just because some of those big men, Drew Timmy, uh, Zach Eady from Purdue, uh, probably just fill up the stat sheet in, in a very different way. But um, the way that he's directing this TCU basketball team and, and, you know, putting it on its back when he, when he needs to, or, or distributing when he needs to um, just really impressive stuff. And I think sometimes we have to step a, take a step back from it and, and look from the view of like, this is uh, maybe one of the best TCU basketball players of all time. Um, in, in that we're witnessing here. So uh want to give a little appreciation there as well. Yeah, and Mike Miles is a player, you know, like Damian Baugh, and they, they thought about maybe declaring for the, the draft or pursuing a pro career after last season. And, you know, M- Mike Miles not only has elevated his game, but, you know, he's making himself some, some guap right now. I think he if he were to declare for the draft after last season, the the optimist in me hopes that he gets taken maybe in the second round, but I feel like he's probably an undrafted free agent if he declares after last year. If he continues to play like this, he's looking at possibly being a late first round, early second round pick, in my opinion. Um, I think some of the questions about Miles after last season were, you know, can he be more efficient? Because he's a smaller guard. You know, he's 6'2", and is kind of a, you know, he's more of a shooting guard, I think, than a point guard. Damian Baugh kind of runs the show as far as, you know, distributing the ball. But 
I think for Miles to take those next few steps and uh, make that kind of impact at the NBA level, it's can, can you be a consistent facilitator when you need to be? Can you be more efficient from the field? And he's shooting over 50% from the field right now, and that's that's huge. Um, he's he's raised his draft stock. You know, there's no question about it. And who knows what can happen over this second half of the Big 12 schedule. There's still so much basketball left to play, but um, the, the prospects are very exciting for, for Mike Miles if he can continue to play the way that he has. And like you said, there have been a few games where you know, the half-court offense maybe just isn't there for TCU. And like Miles just says, I'm, I'm going to do it myself, you know. And he's the really the only guy, I think, on TCU who you can consistently count on to break a defender down and win a one-on-one matchup, make a tough shot. You know he's going to be one of your guys to go to down the stretch in crunch time. And it's just exciting to watch. You know, he's he's a junior. Obviously, he could come back for one more year if he wants to. But um, I think he has an extremely bright future at the pro level if he can continue to play the way that he's been playing this year. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll we'll move off basketball with that and uh, some quick football news. Maybe speaking of some bright futures, we'll see. But um, first is uh, we got a kind of a late declaration that uh, Luol Uguak, the defensive lineman who had transferred in this past season from Connecticut, uh, has declared for the NFL draft. So uh, another kind of rotation piece that uh, the Horn Frogs will lose on that defensive line. So uh, maybe have some building to do. Will be interesting to see how. Um, Gillespie and Sonny Dykes are able to to fill up um, this defensive lineup with some of the losses that we've seen. Um, the other kind of big news um, that came out was Jalen Robinson, the wide receiver from Ole Miss, and more notably previously with UCF, um, committed to TCU as a transfer. He had an okay season. I think he, he kind of um, slid to the background while at Ole Miss, but was a, a huge performer for uh, Central Florida um, with like a thousand yards a couple years ago. He has eight touchdowns over the last two seasons um, or his last two seasons there. So um, a, a guy who's played a lot of football and has uh, performed at a very high level and uh, a Fort Worth native coming home to uh, to join the Horn Frogs and and will likely step in uh, maybe as backup to JoJo Earl or competing with JoJo Earl at that uh, that slot position. Um, he's a little bit of a smaller guy, super fast, uh, sure hands. So, but uh, just a, another kind of big time addition to uh, to the TCU offense here through the transfer portal. Yeah, and I believe he went for about a thousand yards in his last season at Central Florida before he uh, transferred to Ole Miss and didn't really get a lot of run with the Rebels. But it's it's interesting that TCU is continuing to be aggressive with the wide receiver position in the portal. They've already brought in uh, John Paul Richardson, JoJo Earl, Jack Beck, the former tight end turned wide receiver from LSU. 
and now Jalen Robinson. So that's four guys that you're bringing in through the portal to catch passes. And you also have Cordell Russell, who uh, played really well at the All-American Bowl, from what I can see, and has actually uh, supplanted Marcus Deal as the number one uh, prospect in TCU's 2023 recruiting class. So he's a guy that I hadn't seen that. That's yeah. Cool. He's a guy that is going to be commanding some playing time right away. Not to mention you have Jordan Hudson coming back. Who's a extremely talented freshman, former big time, uh, four-star receiver. There's so much talent at, at the receiver position coming back. It's obviously a bummer to lose Quentin Johnston, who could be, a first rounder or possibly even the first receiver taken in the draft this year. You're losing two guys in Darius Davis and Tay Barber who were each contributors in their own way. Tay Barber, just such a reliable player. And Gunnar Henderson. Don't forget about Gunnar Henderson. Gunna. Yeah. Can't forget about Gunna. <laughs> All those H slot guys who, who are going to be uh, on their way out. You know, Darius Davis, uh, on special teams, was named the winner of the uh, the Jet Award earlier today. So congratulations to to Darius Davis on that. Definitely fitting, yeah, definitely fitting for him to win the Absolutely. Jet Award. But they're going to need some guys to to fill in some spots, and so you're, you're aggressive in the portal. You got a, a big time recruit coming in, and still a lot of talent uh, coming back. It's just going to be a a matter of who's who's throwing the rock around and what kind of plays is is Kendall Bryles going to call up, and then. Uh, the Uguak news is, I was kind of bummed out about that because you're, you're losing Dylan Horton, who's your leading sacker. Terrell Cooper was also a starter. Um, Uguak, I think he had a, a year of eligibility remaining. He could have came back if, if he wanted and maybe competed for a, a starting spot. But um, George Ellis is another guy I think who's leaving. And, and I think Sony Nisi might be out of eligibility too. So um, you're, you're going to need some young guys to come in and play right away. Sonny Dykes has talked about Marcus Deal coming in and possibly playing right away. Avion Carter is another four-star D lineman who could maybe play right away. And then uh, Zach Chapman, who for the longest time was a three-star, has been recently bumped to four-star status. So TCU continuing to see prospects get bumps in stars as opposed to losing stars once they decide to come here from from other schools getting that so, respect That's yeah right. so you're you're, you're going to have some some guys coming in some edge rushers and d linemen that i think are going to get a lot of playing time right away because you look at some of the guys who are coming back and i i think you're pretty set at the nose tackle position with dominic williams and Tymon mitchell you also had doug blue eli that former juco player come in but those other two d line spots are kind of unknown right now um you have caleb fox the stephen f austin transfer the freshmen that are coming in but other than that i'm not sure how much yeah, is and some of those edge guys yeah some of those edge guys uh, in the the true freshman recruiting class it'll be interesting to see what where they shake out whether they end up as as linebackers or if they can beef up and and get down on the defensive line. And Rick Diabreu, can't forget about him from, from East Carolina. Oh, yeah. In and uh, more, more of a pass rusher. It'll be interesting to see how he fits into the three three five. Um Doesn't have a super big frame compared to some of these other guys. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a long offseason. I mean, we're going to have spring ball, and then I think the portal will open up again after that, and then we'll get into, you know, the summer and fall stuff. So 
you think there may not be an opportunity to add some players later on, but there's in these portal days, there are always opportunities for, for players to, to seek new opportunities and find their way. So, uh, Best of luck to Ugwak and, and welcome in Jalen Robinson and Sonny Dykes and staff reloading for 2023. Yeah, very little um, off season in college football nowadays. There's there's pretty well something going on, some kind of news going on just about year round. Um, you mentioned signing day coming up. There's a couple of big names that TCU has has their eye on. Um First is the safety Warren Roberson, four-star guy that's been committed to the Frogs for some time, but had, did not sign in the early signing period. So uh, we'll see if he sticks with the Frogs through signing day and, and signs that uh, commitment letter, and, and that national letter of intent, the NLI. Um, the NIL side of things um, a, a name that's been uh, pretty well publicized nationally for the deals that have gone on at Miami and at Florida, Jaden Rashada, the quarterback, big-time quarterback recruit, um, he was released from his NLI um, due to, I, I guess, that the Gator Collective unable to meet its commitments uh, of funding for to to bring him in there to Florida. Uh so he he's opened his his recruitment back up and TCU is in the mix and has um been out visiting with uh Rashad at, at his home I guess in California and has is bringing him in for a visit here at in Fort Worth as well. So um reporting from from 247 has has been all over that. So uh it'll be that would be quite a, a big get for the Horn Frogs to to bring in a high level quarterback prospect like Jaden Rashada, who would uh, step in and, and be competing with Chandler Morris. I would think right away for that starting role um, as soon as he were to get to campus. Um, I think I think he would have to miss all of spring practice due to the um, being let out of his letter of intent and enrollment. Um, for the early period. So it uh, probably would be a, a tough battle to, to catch up to Morris, but um, in any case, a, a big name on the table there for the Horn Frogs. Yeah. And we've talked about it a couple of times on the podcast and Sonny Dykes has alluded to it in, in press conferences in the past. And with, with TCU adding all these players in the portal and signing all of these recruits on early signing day, the one position they haven't really addressed is quarterback and I think there was some hope at some point that maybe TCU could secure a transfer. There was talk, I think, at one point about Sawyer Robertson, the Mississippi State transfer who committed to Baylor. After that, it was Walker Howard who uh, spurned TCU for Ole Miss. And so perhaps this is TCU making you know one last push to try and bring another quarterback into the mix and um, Kendall Bryles, I guess, has a, a relationship with Jaden Rashad and his family, uh, was involved in, in his recruitment in the past. And, um, I think he's absolutely a guy. We just talked about, uh, Cordell Russell re- supplanting Marcus Deal as the number one 
recruit in this in this class, we would have a, a resupplantment if, if Jaden Rashada comes in. He's a, a fringe five star guy and um definitely a, a quarterback who could come in and, and compete right away. I, I still think Chandler Morris is the starting quarterback going into twenty twenty three, but you don't really have a whole lot of depth right now. You have Josh Hoover coming back who was a freshman this year, a former three star guy, but uh Max Duggins declaring for the draft. You haven't been able to get a veteran guy in the portal. I'm not really sure either at this point how many quarterbacks are out there. Uh, maybe after spring ball, some quarterbacks will enter the portal. I'm not sure about that, but um, not not trying to get my hopes too high on Jaden Rashada. The recruitment process has been um, – about as crazy as Zach, it kind of reminds me of Zach Evans' recruitment a few years ago and how it was just, you know, one day he's here and the next day he's there. And um, you just pray for the kid and his family and you hope that they, they make the right decision for him. And if that winds up being TCU, then, you know, that would be awesome. But um, in the words of Michael Scott, no question about it, I am ready to be hurt again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's uh, it's exciting to be in the mix there, and and I think it, it would be a huge addition and for the future of the program and for your ability to bring in twenty twenty four guys. I mean, they, to to be able to say, look, we've got our we've got our quarterback locked down for the future, um, so come on and join this party. I think it uh, it really could do wonders going forward. Um, other football things. So, uh, those former Horn Frogs. Now, um, it was it was nice to see uh, some of these guys out at um, the the event at the uh, at Schulmeyer during the week, presenting the the Fiesta Bowl trophy and kind of getting a nice round of applause and the Hypnotoad and all of that um, there this week. But uh, some some now former. Uh, football players headed to the NFL, getting a chance in some of these senior showcase games. Uh, Russ, can you walk us through the, the schedule this this next week or so as as we get to uh, some more opportunities to see our Horn Frogs out there on the field? Yeah, we got a few senior bowl games coming up. The first one will be the uh, NFL Players Association's Collegiate Bowl. That'll be on. Uh, January 28th, it'll be broadcast on the NFL Network. Alana Lee, the center, and Amari Di Mercado, running back, are both going to be representing TCU in that game. Uh, going into next week, we will have the East versus West Shrine Bowl. Travis Hodges Tomlinson will be playing in that game, and he's listed as a safety. We'll see if he actually plays safety or if he's – maybe that was just a typo and he's playing corner. Who knows? But that game will be on uh, February 2nd. At 7 p.m., also on NFL Network, the Collegiate Bowl, uh, January 28th. That'll be at 5 p.m. on NFL Network. So uh, hopefully you have NFL Network. If you don't, maybe you can find an illegal stream online and watch the game somewhere. Um, there's Reese's Senior Bowl is going to be kind of the big one for, for TCU. They're going to have five players, Max Duggan, Darius Davis, Steve Avila, D. Winters, and Dylan Horton all playing in that game. February 4th at 1.30. Uh, practice during the week will be on ESPNU, and then the game itself will be, again, on NFL Network. So uh, 
get your NFL network passes or your subscription or whatever. So you can tune in and watch the frogs. Um, maybe you get lucky finding a legal stream. You can watch the frogs that way too, but, uh, some, some more opportunities for these players to get some looks. They're going to be working with NFL coaches, uh, Matt Everflus with the bears. I think maybe involved with one of these games, Luke Getze, the offensive coordinator for the bears, I believe is, involved in the collegiate bowl. If I remember correctly, I could be wrong about that, but a uh, really good opportunity for, for these players, you know, obviously with the TCU pro day eventually coming and then potential combine invitations, those will be further opportunities for these guys to showcase their skills. But um, it'll be nice to see these guys, you know, wear the TCU helmets one last time and, and hope to hope to get some more stuff up on frogs of war and, Hopefully we have some good highlight clips coming up from these guys within the next week. Yeah. Really excited to see uh, what these guys can do again and in kind of open competition here, everybody fighting for jobs in, in the NFL and uh, you know, there, there's so much focus on the quarterback position. It'll be very interesting to see what Max Duggan does there at the senior bowl um, opportunity for him. <clears throat> to begin climbing up draft boards. I think seeing what Brock Purdy has been able to do uh, here in the NFL playoffs um, and knowing kind of that the knocks on him going in into the NFL that, you know, if, if somebody like Purdy can do it, maybe we need to take some extra looks at, at some of these other guys that maybe we <clears throat> hadn't considered as much. So I think, I think Duggan, definitely has an opportunity to maybe make the most movement here to where maybe he's a, he's a fringe sixth, seventh round guy, and maybe he can jump up into, into day two day, you know, the fourth round or so. I think it would take a lot maybe for that, but um, you know, he's, he's got that opportunity and, and he's never shied away from that competition. So exciting to see all these guys again and, and hopefully hear their names called on draft night. Um, in a few months. All right. That's probably it for football. Uh, just a quick baseball news. So we're uh, just a few weeks away now from uh, first pitch opening of the season when the frogs will take on Vanderbilt at globe life field in Arlington. Um, TCU, the, the big 12 released their preseason kind of awards announcement and, um, TCU was picked as the top team in the poll. Uh, maybe a little bit surprising, but uh, the Frogs have won the league in the regular season the the last two years. So um, the the coaches vote on that in this particular poll, and and the Frogs were picked to to go back to back to back, um, which which would be quite an achievement. As well, the um, Preseason player of the year, just like in basketball, uh, Mike Miles was the the Big 12 player of the year preseason. And um, TCU baseball gets Braden Taylor, the third baseman, was named preseason player of the year. And uh, the new shortstop, Anthony Silva, was named the freshman of the year. Um, a big-time prospect, a top 70-level uh, prospect out of, out of high school. And... Uh, coming to the Horn Frogs, filling a big hole there left by Tommy Sacco. Um, so, as well on the All Conference team, in addition to Braden Taylor, uh, you've got Austin Davis 
and Elijah Nunez in the outfield. Davis is uh, has been in the Big 12 for a while. He was at West Virginia and transferred into uh, to the Horn Frogs for this season, and then are joined by relief pitchers Luke Savage and Garrett Wright. Um, Russ, I don't know if you have anything on this, but I, I'm just really excited for TCU baseball. I think uh, I'm not a huge MLB guy. I don't I don't follow the major league baseball that much. It's, it's not really my thing. It's just too much, but college baseball is just the best. I I love following college baseball. It's exciting stuff. And, and going to the games is, is such a fun time. And so really looking forward to this TCU baseball season and, and looks to be uh, another um, really great one on, on deck here for us. Yeah. This is a team that is going to score a lot of runs when you look at, how many bats are returning. Like you said, you bring in Austin Davis from West Virginia, who's filling a a pretty big hole as well in the outfield left by Porter Brown. But you have Luke Boyers and Elijah Nunez coming back. You're infield with Braden Taylor and Anthony Silva on the left side. You bring in Trey Richardson, who's a, a really good contact hitter, played at Baylor. He's also familiar with the Big 12. He's coming in probably to play second base. David Bishop, who apparently has bulked up quite a bit, uh, commanded a important role in the lineup as as the cleanup hitter for most of last season as a freshman coming back and uh, looking like he could have an opportunity to take a, a big step forward. And then Curtis Byrne, a, a catcher who can really hit as well. So I think this team is going to score a lot of runs. You have some really good relief pitching. The biggest question I think is just going to be, can you get enough starting pitching? Uh, the Vanderbilt transfer that came in, Brett Hansen, got injured over the off season and has already transferred out. So that's one guy who maybe you hope can, can earn a starting spot, uh, not on the team anymore. So you have a couple notable returning starters coming back, but that's, I think like it was last year going to be the, the big question with this TCU team is, you know, the frogs scored a lot of runs last year. They had a lot of exciting games as a result of that, but they also gave up uh, quite a few. So, if they can find some starting pitching with the guys they have on the back end and the bats they're going to have up and down the lineup, this could potentially wind up being a very scary TCU baseball team. Yeah, it's going to be tough uh, replacing uh, Austin Krobe and Riley Cornelio in that starting lineup and um, Marcelo Perez as well. So the the big name uh, that – Seems like maybe uh, Ryan Vanderhey um, coming in is going to be a potentially step up into a starting role. Um, it, it, it'll be interesting to see how the how that uh, kind of rotation works because yeah, th- this team has it built but doesn't have that. Um, at least we don't see it yet. We haven't seen it yet. The that starting pitcher that's that's just your shutdown guy that works through seven innings and, uh, you know, with nine strikeouts and that, that may not be on the roster this season. And so um, having this excellent relief pitching, having an excellent um, top to bottom one to nine hitting lineup uh, will, will certainly make for some fun baseball games and, and looking forward to it out at Lupton. All right. Final thing, another thing looking forward to. So this weekend is the the men's tennis 
uh, ITA kickoff weekend. So it's, it's kind of the opening round of the indoor, uh, tournament for, for NCAA. So TCU is a host and will host Gonzaga on Saturday. And the winner of that match will get, uh, Utah or Texas tech in the second round on Sunday. Um, and then the winner of that regional goes into the tournament up near you in Chicago, where uh, TCU will be looking to defend their indoor national championship earned last season. Um, as always, I will encourage folks to go out to uh, to the tennis facility and go go catch a match. This is going to be really exciting. Um, I think it's going to be the kind of thing where you're hanging on every point because uh, it is it is it is a tournament. It's a tournament environment, and so. Uh, TCU has has been fantastic this season. Uh, did get its first road win of the season at Tulsa um, last week since we last talked. Uh, continuing to play up to their rankings, they're up to, they're number three in the current rankings. Um, I think every singles is in the top like 75 or 80, um, in, in the country in, in each singles, uh, the, the doubles partners, I think we have the, the Horn Frogs are at number one and at number three in the doubles rankings. So it's going to be some really high quality tennis being played from the Horn Frogs and they'll be looking to, uh, to take it to the Bulldogs and either the Utes or the Red Raiders. Yeah. And another weekend. team, you know, similar to baseball, the, the tennis team has, practically all of its starters back from, from last year. And the, the, the tennis program, shout out to David Roditti. The tennis program has been so successful at, at TCU these last several years. And um, I think at times doesn't get talked about enough uh, how successful they've been. So, and just knowing David Roditti, having talked to him several times in the past, just a super, super awesome guy, really respectable guy. And, uh, always enjoy listening to the Rodetti reports after the, the matches and very transparent guy. You know, he, he it's kind of rare to see that, I think, particularly from a, a head coach of a premier collegiate athletic program. So just a little shout out there to, to Rodetti and uh, TCU men's tennis coming in as, as one of the top ranked teams in the country, showing it right now and hopefully can can make some noise in that in that ITA tournament. All right, so uh, you know if we we don't see you at, uh, at, at I don't know Shawmire next week or out at the the Baird Freeman uh, tennis facility this weekend, um, you know thanks everyone for listening, thanks for following us. Everything uh, we're we're writing up at, at frogsaward dot com. Follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, um, and and thanks for listening here to this podcast. We'll sign off. Go frogs.